In the last few years, states have advanced a record number of bills that attack LGBT rights, and especially transgender youth. According to the ACLU, right now, there are over 400 nationwide bills moving their way through state legislation. And while not all of these bills will become law, they all cause harm for LGBT people. Here in Alaska, we currently have three proposed bills, SB 96, HB 105, and HB 27, that are threatening to take away rights from our LGBT community members. Join me, host O'Hara Scheip for Hometown Alaska, as we dive into the often misunderstood world of drag and how it relates to the fight for equality. Zadie, you're also known as De La Rosa when performing drag, right? We're excited yeah. to have you. Hi, thank you for having me. And we also have Robin, also known as Lamia Monroe. Thank you so much for having us. Happy to be here. Well, luckily, you guys have two very different voice profiles, so hopefully our <laughs> listeners will uh, be able to follow along here pretty well. You're both high-profile drag performers and a part of Mad Myrna's Diva Variety Show. What initially attracted you um, into performing? I went to UAA, actually, University of Anchorage, Alaska, for a music education degree. And I studied opera, and so that really got me into the theater scene here in Anchorage. I had a friend who was a music major with me at the time, who then later I found out was a drag performer at Mad Barnes. Um, and they very much was the main reason why I started performing at Mad Barnes, mainly first um, during their amateur shows. I really just started to fall in love with the craft and made a name for myself using drag in a way that I knew how for me. Because a lot of people look at me and they're like, well, you're, for better sense of the word, biologically female. Why are you a drag queen? Why why are you performing in the way that you do? It's mm-hmm. like, well, okay, I'm a non-binary trans individual, but I use drag as a way for me to c- reclaim femininity, but on my terms, by my consent, which is why I still perform femme. And so growing up, I was very much forced to be feminine in a very specific way, according to what my parents saw as feminine. And so for me, using drag, it's like, oh, no, I get to explore that side of myself without feeling dysphoric of my gender. But it's on my terms. It's in a way that I enjoy. And so I think I actually had the honor of seeing both of you when you were just baby drag queens, as it were. Because I think I was actually at Mad Myrna's the night you first performed. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> gosh. Yep. I, I was there for your first one. And then, Robin, um, I met you when I was working at the Anchorage Press, um, and you were just a baby drag queen at UAA, right? Yes, yeah. I grew up in Two Rivers, Alaska, you know, out in the woods, dog mushing, and just spent a lot of time with my childhood playing outside, wild imagination, you know. Ultimately, I think what attracted me to performing and to the stage was that it was the complete opposite of my environment in which I grew up. And very much enthralled by the glitz and the glamour. So really, arriving at drag made sense because it was the accumulation of all of my different interests. And in the drag community, we kind of joke that you're either a Halloween queen or a pride Pride queen. queen. Um, I was actually a prom queen. I went to my senior prom in drag. That was the first time I left the house uh, head to toe ready, and I went to prom, and everybody loved it, had a great time. They thought I was an exchange student from a different school because they didn't <laughs> recognize me. <laughs> so I surprised a few teachers and a few friends, but it was just a great time, and it was that positivity that once I got a taste of that and how much fun it was and people loved it and I loved it, then I just kept going and began organizing um, my own shows when I was under 21. I think the first large show I organized was 
in re- response to the anti-transgender bathroom bill back mm-hmm. in 2018. Um, yeah, I yep. believe 2018 or 2017 maybe, but it was the Proposition 1 put forward by the Alaska Family Council. So we had a gigantic community event, brought people together to support the transgender community of Anchorage. And really since then, the relationships and everything else just been continuing. So we kind of touched on this a a little bit because you represent two very different spectrums, I think, of of people, just with being non-binary, trans, and then gay man, I think, if that's the proper term. You know, one of the things that's happening right now is obviously all the rhetoric surrounding drag queens, that there's pedophilia associated, that it's grooming children. I'm wondering if we could do like a, here's what drag is and here's what it isn't. I think for me, the most basic way to put drag is drag is the expression of artistic gender, I think is the best way for me at least to describe what drag is, because drag is very, very expansive on what it could look like. And I don't think that one specific way of drag is the be all end all as much as some people like to say that. Uh, (laughs) um, But drag in and of itself can look like so many different packages. It has so many different wrappers. There's so much that you can do through that medium. And I think for for a lot of people, it's a way to kind of, one, to escape. It's a way to escape kind of what's going on in the world and just be proud of who you are and proud of, of our community and what we can accomplish because the world right now, especially right now, is ugly and thinks so many different incorrect things about our community mm. that for a lot of people, drag is is the only escape. It's, it's being within our community. It's being within our drag family is really the way that we find joy during these really, really dark times. Mm. And what about you, Robin? Yeah, absolutely. I think it can be hard to exactly encapsulate what is and what is not drag. But how I would answer that question is say that You know, historically, LGBTQ queer people have not seen themselves reflected in popular culture in whether that's movies or before that plays or books, novels, whatever type of media. So as people have gathered and built community and had safe spaces for queer people to assemble, naturally, they progressed into producing their own entertainment and their own kind of culture. Drag can look like a lot of different things. But I also just to touch on the grooming and that other, the anti-drag rhetoric we Mm. hear now. Obviously, inherently doing drag does not make you a pedophile. Um, It's a really negative mental health thing to wake up and live your life every day with the insinuation that just being who you are is somehow dangerous to children. I mean, I got into drag because I wanted to look pretty, and dance around to Lady Gaga and Which express you do, myself. Effectively. <laughs> Which needs to be noted. You know, I did not get in drag. I did not start doing drag to harm anybody. And I think it kind of think about any other type of performance, like whether that's music. Let's use live music as an example. There's appropriate live music for children, and there's yeah. inappropriate live music for children. It's all circumstantial. You wouldn't look at one musician at an event and be like, "Ah, this is inappropriate." All music is bad for kids. Mm -hmm. And that's what we see happening right now, where there's a fixation of attempting to suppress and oppress a Mm -hmm. whole group of marginalized people by exaggerating the potential harm that could. Could, could, but I mean, there's been no no proof. And that's, you know, where the rhetoric Mm kind of comes in. And 
-hmm. That is what is ultimately the issue. It's it's the fact that it is it has the queer community attached to it. And ultimately, they don't care about drag because otherwise they would be going off on all the Republicans who have been shown to be in drag as a joke, quote unquote, as a joke in high school or during fraternity parties or whatever that we've been seeing photos of. It's ultimately because it has queer people attached to it. You know, I I say what you will about RuPaul. I know that um, he's kind of a very, I guess, a lightning rod of a figure, I think, within the community. But he's come out recently and said that all of these bills that are coming through that are anti-LGBT and that they're focused specifically on drag queens, that it's really just a red herring to try to pass other bills like bathroom bills and anti-trans bills. And so would you kind of agree with that assessment that that's why drag is being so villainized right now? A hundred percent, because ultimately the people that are going to be affected by these bills are going to be trans youth and queer kids. Because, I mean, the statistic for trigger warning, the statistic for suicide rates for trans kids ultimately is very, very, very high. And this is not going to help things. It's going to make things a lot worse. Ultimately, we live in a world where if you're going to say outright full blank period, I don't like trans kids. There's going to be backlash regardless of that. So they hide that with, oh, this is about protecting the kids. This is about protecting those kids and making sure that we're doing right by them, making sure that that we're doing what's best for them. And so they hide the fact that ultimately these bills are going to primarily affect that that demographic by saying, oh, no, we're going after the adults in drag, literally just dancing around to Lady Gaga and having the time of their life, they're, they're the problem. They're the issue. And that ultimately we are the easier target. And, and right now, so there's 409 bills nationally going through that are very much anti-LGBT. You know, here in Alaska, I think a lot of times we think that we're somewhat separate from these things because we're so far away. What is the state of, of queer rights in Alaska right now? Where are we with this? You know, um, we still do not have any sort of statewide protections for LGBTQ individuals. Historically, Alaska has actually been ahead of the country somewhat on, for example, marriage equality, which was not by popular vote, but by Supreme Court action here in Alaska. But I'd say the the current status of things, you just have to, you can just look at, for example, the Anchorage Assembly and see that Anchorage is a hotbed of clashing political and value ideology. I think about a quote that is from Billy Porter, um, where he said, essentially, to paraphrase, the backlash we're seeing is because we've already won. You know, we've already achieved marriage equality. Queer people are already largely accepted by most people. You know, the majority of people do support things like marriage equality and other types of queer rights. However, then you have a portion of largely evangelical Christian Republicans that are angered by this and seeking to oppress a marginalized group, seeking to turn the tide against that progressive and positive movement. So I think that's largely what we see with different legislation. And what's interesting about it is it's coded. The the bigotry and the transphobia is coded under things like targeting drag queens or the term parental rights. The point being what I'm saying We largely see bigotry coded in different ways, whether that's parental rights or drag shows or other things. I think what we're seeing is attempts to circumnavigate Mm -hmm. that progress and to insert into different local governments, whether that's school board or assembly or whatever it is, or by executive action with the governor, 
to try and try and reverse that progress and that the public will to accept people for who they are and support people. But I think that's why, it, you know, when Dunleavy had come out with these these new suggestions and bills, like it was so surprising because we, you mentioned it earlier, we defeated Prop 1 in 2018, also known as the bathroom bill. You know, gay marriage is legal here. And until recently, there were some LGBT protections built into the laws in terms of being able to discriminate on housing and schools. And now it feels like all of a sudden we're retracting it. And at the very pinnacle of this and people attacking is trans and drag community. And so do you feel ever when you're out performing, I mean, do you feel safe performing in Anchorage? I think right now it's it's a when is the other shoe going to drop? Because right now the only state, to my knowledge, that actually has... The, the actual potential of, of fully outlawing drag as it is and as we know it is Tennessee. But who knows if Alaska is next? Who knows if, if what other state is going to then follow suit? Um, so I feel like right now we're doing the best we can to stay positive and, and to have a front of, of strength for our community because ultimately I feel like the leaders of the community are the drag performers are the people who are at the forefront at the at the front lines mm-hmm. and so we're trying to continue on right now as is as business as usual because we don't know how long that's going to last and it's a very scary thought to have right and you're currently the emprex of all Alaska, right? So as, as part of this activism and fighting these things, is that a part of, of being the Emprex? Oh, very much so. Um, so with me being Emprex, what that means is I am part of an organization called the Imperial Court of All Alaska, which is the Alaska chapter for a more nationwide organization called the Imperial Court System. It's a, it's a, a nationwide organization that happened and, and was founded back in the 60s. So it has ties to like Harvey Milk and and the founder of the organization was friends with Harvey Milk and the founder of the organization, Jose Saria, is actually known as the first openly gay candidate for office of any in the world. Harvey Milk was the first to actually be elected, but Jose Saria was the first to run. And so he founded this organization as a way to protect our community and to Looks like Robin wants to add as well. (laughs) I'm sorry to jump in. It's worth noting that um, we owe Jose for actually the legal precedent that makes it legal for gay people to assemble. Um, There is a time, even in, you know, states like California, which we think of as super progressive, there was a time where it was illegal for gay people, for queer people to gather in private spaces and in Mm -hmm. bars. And it was it was Jose Zaria's advocacy that wound up having court precedents that yielded that to make it legal. So I'm sorry. Yeah, no, absolutely. just saying it's a that organization has a very long history of having a positive impact on the rights for queer people mm-hmm. absolutely and and being part of the Alaska chapter and being kind of right right now being the the figurehead of the organization right now kind of is a very big responsibility for anybody who who runs as the quote-unquote monarch of the state or monarch of the court to really keep that in mind and and be working as much as you can to fight for for your community and and fight for the safety and well-being of your community and and we've been doing that a lot me and my emperor matt cook 
So the the Imperial Court of Alaska had like a two year hiatus due to the pandemic and for other reasons. And me and Matt are the first monarchs to have been elected in two years. And so our kind of we have a kind of a big job on our hands on the bar is on the ground right now. and We have to bring back the, the organization back to its former glory in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so what we've been doing a lot is doing a lot of community outreach, a lot of community work service. We were involved in, uh, with a good amount of the uh, pop-up clinics back when the monkeypox vaccines were occurring. We were there for the UAA Pride Center's ribbon cutting ceremony. And it's a lot of work, but ultimately it's, it's the work that I've been wanting to do and it's the platform that I've been wanting to make sure that I use properly. And Robin, so I'm going to direct this question um, at you. You obviously are, are very into queer history, drag history. You've kind of expressed that here. And drag queens have always sort of been at the forefront of gay activism and, and queer activism. But what else, like, I mean, what can we do as allies? Like, how do we help? Is this a fight that we just do on our own? Is this, uh, how do we get involved? Absolutely. You know, this current time where we're in, in terms of safety with drag queens being, drag performers, I should say, being targeted, really largely, I th- believe, especially in Alaska, that's because there is a somewhat of a vacuum or a lack of LGBTQ leaders at a statewide level, at a local level in the state. So therefore, by de- by default, drag performers wind up becoming spokespeople for the community and like public facing figures of the community. And so there's a large responsibility there. However, we are very lucky right now as this anti-LGBT things are going on. We have for the first time three out queer legislators in the Alaska legislature. We have a number of assembly members who have who are LGBTQ, both in Anchorage, Juneau, and Fairbanks. So really, what I would say to allies is make sure you're supporting and electing people who are from the community, within the community, who support the community. Make sure you're doing things to empower people who are affecting meaningful change. And paying attention, you know, when there's things going on, like whether it's actions at the school board, assembly, or the Alaska legislature, stay engaged, write to your representative, testify when there's opportunities, keep up with the news. And yeah, just to also touch on safety, I think, because I've been thinking about that while we're talking about this whole conversation, ever since the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, there's definitely been a level of fear amongst drag performers and the community that, you know, oh my gosh, what if that happened here? When we also saw that in Colorado last year where there was a shooting Again, and it was actually the drag performers and people in that bar that subdue, were able to subdue the the gunmen and prevent more lives from being lost. I think, be, and I think because it's always in the back of our minds, this could happen. Mm-hmm. So when it did happen, people sprung into action actually, and so I guess that is all to say that in a state that has limited queer spaces and limited LGBTQ events and stuff going on you do worry about whether or not those become a target. And that's why it's so important to advocate for people's rights and to make sure we're pushing back on the narrative that demonizes us, Mm -hmm. that makes us out to be dangerous people, that makes us out to be something that we're not. You know, it's most of of the drag performers in Alaska are involved in the communities in positive ways. 
Most of us are involved in lots of different organizations that are not just, you know, we're not just these people that only come out at night and don't, you know, sort of like are like some sort of vagabond. So we're not night walkers. No, we're not, we're not night walkers. Folks. Drag queens are actually vampires. <laughs> we're, we're out in the community. We're involved. You know, we serve on boards. We are participating in society at all different levels. We're you know, humans and Alaskans. And so I guess there's lots of different ways people and allies can get involved and support what's going on. But just don't be silent. It sounds like that's it, kind of the absolutely. message. Yeah, don't be, si- don't be complacent with, with bigotry. Don't support businesses, politicians, and groups that are working to suppress marginalized people. And whenever you can, support support LGBTQ leaders, especially indigenous leaders and people of color whose voices are often not represented enough. And, you know, I know that obviously this is a huge topic. I think we could probably spend hours here. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I appreciate, uh, appreciate your guys' time and, and candor. I know this is difficult things to talk about. And hopefully we can we can have you back. Um, we can continue to develop and delve into this because I think it's going to continue to unfold. So thank you both for your time and coming in today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. You're listening to Hometown Alaska on Alaska Public Media. I'm host O'Hara Scheip. That was Robin O'Donohue and Zadie Manzano, better known as their drag performer alter egos, Lamia Monroe and De La Rosa. After this short break, we'll be back with the founders of Arcianega Street Productions, Kendra and Mercedes Arcianega. This is Hometown Alaska on Alaska Public Media. I'm host O'Hara Scheip. Up next are the founders of Arcianega Street Productions, Kendra and Mercedes Arcianega. Welcome, Mercedes. Hi, thank you for having us. And Kendra, of course. Hi, happy to be here. Hey, um, so Arcianega Street Productions, it's a Latinx, LGBTQ-owned, and woman-owned production company. What made you come up with the idea to start your company? So we were responding to a very clear community need that we saw was not being fulfilled. There was definitely a strong need, especially after COVID, um, like, you know, the lockdown times of COVID. Right, lest us forget. Yeah, I know, where where there was a really important need for community programming because people just had this desire to feel more connected. And I noticed that that was especially prevalent in the queer community and a lot of other intersections of, like, the Latina community, the BIPOC communities of, like, People just craved connection. And we also have a long history of being in the performing arts and music and art scene here in Anchorage. And we were frustrated that, I mean, to put it 
plainly that local artists, especially queer artists and Latina and BIPOC artists were not getting their flowers, Mm -hmm. so to speak. They weren't getting, they were underpaid, Mm -hmm. underbooked, underappreciated and not getting the same opportunities that their white counterparts and their straight counterparts were getting. And so we wanted to create a space where, you know, queer Latina and BIPOC artists could thrive and be celebrated and be paid, you know, a respectable rate for their artistry and their talent. You know, we're artists ourselves and we saw that there just needed to be more opportunities in Alaska. I think once we came back here in our mid-20s from the places that we had been in, uh, Tacoma and L.A. respectively, that we realized, oh, yeah, I would love to have this type of community or these types of entertainment and we looked around and realized, oh, we're the ones now that are having to make those changes. That we're, we, we can't be expecting other people to do it for us. We have to create that opportunity. So in a very Alaskan spirit, I feel like, of you know, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and doing it yourself, that was something we created with our San Diego Street Productions. So I've been hosting Lights Down Low, which is a music event featuring BIPOC and queer artists. But... I would say the event, arguably, that you guys are most well-known for at this point is Drag Loteria, also known as Drag Bingo. Tell me a little bit about how that got started. Um, Seeing the need for culture and connection, like connection to culture, connection to community, um, connection to your neighbors even. We saw an opportunity um, getting more connected to the queer community that there should be opportunities for queer youth, queer families young allies, they deserve to feel connected to the queer community, too. And a lot of the time, the queer community, you know, there are a lot of opportunities, but most most opportunities to connect to queer culture is kind of centered around bar culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and pride happens once a year. And since COVID, pride kind of just stopped happening. And right. so queer youth and queer families deserve to feel in community, too. And so we wanted an opportunity to kind of bridge that gap of bringing culture Mm -hmm. to the forefront and bringing an opportunity for like all ages to participate. And so we decided to do an all ages drag show and we decided to also incorporate Loteria. And so we are very proud of the fact that it's the only all Latinx, Latina, BIPOC drag show in the city. And the only consistent all-ages drag show in the city, too. There are really no other all-ages drag shows in Anchorage other than, like... Every so often, you know, drag story Story time time. or the one-off events here and there. Pride, underground pride in the valley. Mm -hmm. and So we're very proud of that. And we've been doing it for a year now because it's March 2023 now, Mm -hmm. (laughs) at the time of recording this. And Drag Loteria has been happening for one year. And And it's sold out every single show, I think, means to... Every single well. show. Yeah. yeah. With, and we actually did the math on it that um, from March to March, in one year, um, we have booked uh, at least 13 local and some, we've booked at least 13 Latina and BIPOC drag artists for this show. We have had over 900 guests for the year that we've done it. And every single event that we've done, we've had queer youth trans youth, queer families. That's been really special. 
And yeah. um, Mercedes, so typically at Drag Loteria, people can find you kind of sitting behind the desk, grooving out to the music. Yeah. Um, you have been <laughs> spotted doing doing that, especially. I have been found. Yep, especially for anything Selena, right. which is understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think it is that, that has resonated so much with people um, wanting to spend money and going to Drag Loteria? I think a big part of it is the community building aspect of it. Again, as Kendra had put, a lot of queer culture and queer community building happens to cater to the 21 and up crowd. And we don't have consistent areas where we can have families join in. And as well, just people that are looking for something different and something new. And it has always as I'm tucked away in the back corner watching the, <laughs> the the crowd and seeing all the different experiences, how heartwarming it's been to see complete strangers sit at the little bar top, make friends, and then they come to the next show and then they sit next to each other. Or we tell people, oh, you know, this table, they only have a couple people that are sitting here and, uh, you know, we do have a spot. You have to sit with random people. And they're laughing and having a good time and helping each other out on the board, seeing kids and their awe of these performances and having the best time there. I just we just get to see so many different types of people outside of just, you know, our general queer community, which is very tight knit. So it's this it it is this whole full experience of just absolute joy and we've held our event you know, every month since March of last year. And that's been included during times where it was very trying on our community after the Club Q shootings and just what we're seeing right now and in in the world and what that is doing to our, yeah, our queer community and such that we've had that moment where we acknowledge that there is pain going on mm-hmm. and that people are, are struggling even outside of those issues, whatever their, their personal life may be. And they get to spend a couple hours together in a family friendly event where it's just joy. It's just, it's just, it's games, it's prizes, it's food, it's laughter. And for just those two hours, you can have this, this safe haven to form community and remember the good in people, I think. Right. And so we've talked about, obviously, um, you know, and I've been there and it's an incredibly joyful experience, but yeah, in the background, we have all of these anti-LGBT bills that are going, moving through the Senate in multiple states, our state included. How does that affect you guys as promoters and and producers of these events? It's definitely on our mind. Yeah. (laughs) We talk about it easily every day, multiple times a day, (laughs) that legislation is happening in other places like my home state of Texas and, you know, in places like Tennessee um, where they're banning drag. They're banning all ages drag shows and that directly impacts us. But we obviously that's that's a very, very small slice of the pie when it comes to like who all that impacts. The biggest thing that scares us and keeps us up at night is how does that affect queer youth? You're taking away one safe space. That's to us. That's a very tragic thing for us, though, in Alaska, that we have not seen that kind of legislation, at least in regards to all ages drag show. I'm going to say yet. We have a lot of community buy in. For Drag Loteria, we worked really hard to build it to what it is now. We have an immense support system, not just from community members, but from local businesses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All of our prizes are donated from local businesses who believe in what we do and who believe in safe spaces for queer youth, who believe in 
celebrating queer and BIPOC and Latina art, who support queer artists thriving in Anchorage, and who ultimately believe and value safe spaces for our community. And so, yes, while it keeps us up at night, we stand really strong in the fact that we have such immense community support that if anything were to come down the pike that would threaten an all-ages-like community event like this, we know that there would be a lot of people not taking that quietly. And have either of you experienced, I guess, any any clapbacks, any difficulty from members of the community who are making the claim that exposing children to dragons in some way grooming or some sort of pedophiliac act? Have you received any of that, or have you guys been pretty sheltered from it so far? You know, there's been... Most of the the response to what we do has been overwhelmingly positive. And if anything, it, we've seen multiple stories on, on social media or people telling us personally, reaching out, DMing us, pulling us aside after Loteria that have told us, you know, I have a, a trans child or... Um, you know, I'm brand new to the state and I'm queer and I'm Latina and I just never thought I would find this here and what that means to us. There, there, there is some very, very few, and I think Kendrick can speak to that a little better about the negative implications or the people that have, that have clapped back. We know that we are on some people's radar, not always the people that we <laughs> that want to be perceived want by. To right. be perceived by. <laughs> and I think we have to operate knowing that perception is happening. We can't be naive to the climate of what we're dealing with at a local, national level. So we do, we do stay aware and um, we really lean into the positive feedback that we get. Uh, more so than the negativity. Yeah, I'd love to hear, Kendra. I mean, have oh. you received letters or calls? Or, I mean, what what's been your experience? You know, we've been doing this for a year, and we have we are in plain sight. It's not like we're hiding, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, we sell out every week, and we post photos every time we do it, and it's like we're very out in the open, and we have not received a lot of hate, to be honest. Um, every once in a while, we will be. <laughs> We will be perceived by a local blogger who is not the biggest fan of the queer community in general. And so that doesn't really bother us so much because we already know that those aren't the people that we're trying to appeal to. It just, you know, gets our hackles up a little bit just because the negative publications that do have anti-queer, anti-trans, anti-drag slants to everything that they say whenever they post about us that can sometimes inspire people to act violently or to, you know, hate spreads like wildfire. And it's really hard to put it out once it's spreading. And we see that happening on a national level. And so when we are perceived by local bloggers or, you know, very loud social media personalities who are very clearly anti-queer, anti-trans, we try not to feed the trolls. We try not to give them the attention that we know they're hungry for. We just try to keep doing what we're doing. We're also very fortunate to have support from groups like the Queen's Guard, who work really hard to partner with us to ensure that our guests are arriving to a really safe and welcoming and positive environment. And it's just really helpful to have that extra layer of reinforcement and support that like, you're safe here, this is a safe space, whatever's going on out there, not our business. We're here to have fun and be safe and be in community for two hours. So as for the negativity, we try to 
not pay it too much mind. Yeah. Try right. not to feed the trolls. Yeah. Right. So, because, you know, I, th- I think some people, when they experience this negativity, they kind of respond and trying to trying to use reason, I think, with people. Are you kind of to the point where you're over trying to explain the importance of drag and representation, or are you still trying to, to change people's minds? I think it's probably a little bit of both. I mean, again, this goes back to realizing that some people, that's just their belief system. Having personally done other type of um, social justice and activist work, whether it was being in line speaking at the Anchorage Assembly during some very hostile times. That was a great example of being in a room full of people where uh, where they probably are just never going to see eye to eye on that and will always demonize or uh, make us the villain, try to paint us to be something that is incredibly ugly and um, horrific, honestly. It's heartbreaking. And so there are some times where I think it's safe to say that there are just people that I'm not going to change their mind. We're not going to change their mind. But I think for people, there there is still hope. Not every mind is spoken for. Not every belief system is in place. And there is opportunity and flexibility for some people to just have more information or have that type of exposure. I think a good example is that there are some people who probably enjoy drag, but haven't had a lot of all ages drag experiences. And I think... That is one thing where we hear it in the rhetoric of the other side of, you know, drag is sexualized or it's just for adults and all this other stuff. But just like any other art form and type of expression, there is a different audience for that. I mean, it's it's silly. You uh, Music is like that. Film, TV, stage, visual arts, everything. The way you dress, like there is there is a code and there is a, a, a standard for all these different types of audiences and places that you go. And that goes for drag. The drag performances that we've had at Loteria have sparked so much joy for kids when People are singing Let It Go from Frozen or they're they're doing I'm Every Woman. And that's like a kid's first time getting the exposure to. So wholesome. It's so wholesome. So that is also something where even if they are on on that side to give exposure to people who might only have a, a slice of what drag can be and queer joy and queer expression, that it's not just all centered around sexuality and 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 even so those types of drag and and expressions are just as valid as any of those that are for mature audiences for film or music so i think in that case there's always minds to still inspire and hopefully change i think all art forms have the ability to be multifaceted and tailored for their audience and I think what it really boils down to is like the anti-drag sentiments really just stem from anti-queer, anti-trans mm-hmm. sentiments uh, towards the community at large. I think it it doesn't always have to do with drag. I think it has to do with people who are angry at things that they're uncomfortable with and don't have the tools or don't have any interest in digging any deeper into why they're uncomfortable or why they're angry about it. I think they just want to shut it down. Well, and, and, you know, we talk about it in popular culture, obviously, and it's something that Sadie had mentioned um, when we spoke with her, you know, about Mrs. Doubtfire or Mulan. And there are all these, you know, even Tootsie, there are so many pop culture references where drag is a really big part of it and no one seemed to really have a problem with it. But now it seems something's shifted in the public consciousness. But when, but when queer people portray 
do drag. It's like all of those examples of like a Mrs. Doubtfire, those are drag as like a parody, as like a right. portrayed by straight people or cishet people. But then it's like when the queer community takes agency and wants to perform drag, when that is like a huge part of queer culture. And that also just speaks to a larger theme of like pride. Pride, <laughs> I know a lot of the the anti-pride sentiments are like, well, what about straight pride? Or how come you guys have to flaunt it in our face? And why are you guys celebrating your sexuality? It's not that. It's we're we're a marginalized community and we're celebrating our survival. Drag is about survival and thriving in a world that has tried to snuff us out for a long time. And that's what really pride is, is celebrating the people who risked and sacrificed their lives so that we could make it and that we could like thrive as much as we can in a world today. So then, you know, we talk about that, obviously, and allies needing to be a part of it. But I think a lot of times allies, like you said, why don't we have a straight pride? We get a little bit overzealous. We don't mean to, but we do. So how do we as allies best support what you're doing right now in the community? I think like any other type of allyship, there are certain there are certain levels that you can show. So, uh, you know, for instance, we use examples um, within the BIPOC community of, okay, are we, you know, are we lifting up a person? Okay, that's a great first step. Are we, you know, giving them the handout and saying, here, you know, here's the opportunity? Or are we also just stepping aside and not just taking, like, not just giving an opportunity, but just not taking up that space and just stepping aside, listening, saying instead of, here, let me give you an opportunity to do this, that sounds great in theory. And I think that's where a lot of allyship sometimes stops when we realize there's another step further. And that is put is that the people in marginalized communities, such as, you know, the queer community and these kinds of what we're trying to do is are we letting them take that space? Are we letting them take the lead and are we supporting them? So I think if anything, in a, a larger sense of how allies can help the queer community is making sure that the stories, the narratives, the initiatives, you know, businesses, whatever that is that we need support from, that we are getting support and not any sort of insistence or being like, oh, wait, like give us an opportunity to to explain or and and to listen before we have anything where it starts to get overrun. I think allies, the best thing you can do in general is to is to listen, listen first see if there is a response there and then and and see ask questions you know how can i help like you're saying and just supporting queer art supporting our queer youth uh, showing up in the best ways possible whether that's you know with your ballots or with your activism i think those are all really crucial in how allyship can be strengthened it's easy to do the fun things and it's easy to do the easy things <laughs> like putting a rainbow filter on your profile picture when a same sex marriage gets legalized or, you know, posting something to your Instagram story. It's easy to do that stuff when we really need allies to show up is when there's even rhetoric. Anti-queer, anti-trans rhetoric begets anti-queer, anti-trans legislation. It yields harm towards the community. And so that means speaking up when it's hard um, and when it might feel uncomfortable. So like calling out your homophobic and transphobic uncle at the dinner table 
That means correcting your friends or coworkers when they say something problematic, um, when they offer unsolicited opinions about a lot of the legislation that's happening regarding all ages drag shows and, you know, bathroom bills and things like that. Being a voice of dissent in the room is true allyship, not because because at this point we're at a crossroads. What you permit, you promote. And being a voice of dissent is crucial to our survival and to our safety and more importantly, to the safety of queer and trans kids and queer artists. So we're actually out of time, which is unfortunate because there's so much to say about this. But I wanted to thank you both for being here, speaking candidly um, and sharing your heart uh, with our listeners. So thank you. Thank you so much for having us. We appreciate it. Thank you. You're listening to Hometown Alaska on Alaska Public Media. I'm host O'Hara Scheib. That was Kendra and Mercedes Arcinaga of Arcinaga Street Productions. Links and more content are available on the Hometown Alaska page on alaskapublic.org. After the short break, we'll be back with State of Art. Alaska Public Media, this is State of Art. Welcome to State of Art on Hometown Alaska, your weekly dose of Anchorage arts and culture. I'm Ammon Swenson. Coming up, I speak with Anchorage Public Library Director Virginia McClure. We discuss what she's been focused on since taking on the position and what the library has coming up. She says her career path was not a direct route. I was actually in the restaurant business before, and so I had been a cook and a chef for several years and hadn't really thought about libraries at all, but I put off finishing my degree as an undergrad and went to cooking school instead. And so there was a certain point where I went back, finished my degree, and then had a cousin who was trying to decide what to do with his career. And I talked to him about becoming a librarian. And I really gave this hard sell of how great it would be to be a librarian. And he was never interested in doing that. But in the process, I convinced myself that I should look into librarianship and the graduate program to get the library science degree. So I did. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, obviously, you're kind of fresh in the position-ish, I should say. You started at the end of last year. So what things have you kind of been focusing on so far since you've been filling the role? Since I started last year, I've primarily have been looking at problem solving. You know, Mm -hmm. this is, this library went through the pandemic and then went through a period of time without a confirmed director. And so some things stopped because of the pandemic. There were empty positions. And so just different processes were, there were some hiccups in processes. And so I was focused on talking to staff and finding out what we needed to start doing to fix any issues or things that fell by the wayside over the last couple of years that we needed to restart. Yeah. How do you think that process has been going? I know it's probably weird 
weird to kind of reinstate stuff or kind of reevaluate what's happened since, you know, a lot of kind of world changing moments, I guess. Well, we, you know, we've done some things internally trying to restart processes. A big one probably is reopening on Sundays. Mm. That's something that I talked to a lot of staff about, and they were really, really interested in reopening on Sundays. And of course, the public, you know, we heard a, had a lot of feedback from the public asking us to reopen on Sunday. So, uh, you know, pretty pleased that we were able to do that. Yeah. Kind of getting back to normal-ish, I guess. Yes. So kind of moving on to what else the library has going on. You know, when I think of a library, I think when, you know, when most people probably think of libraries, we often just focus on the book lending aspects, but there's so much more to it than that. You've got services, events, and kind of other things as well. So maybe let's talk about some of those for a bit. First thing, I think as a little kid, I would be super excited about is Dino Day on April 22nd. So could you kind of maybe talk about what that is and kind of how you've related that to the library? Yes, we are so excited to welcome back our friend, the giant walking T-Rex. It's super cool, almost full-size giant walking puppet. Dinosaurs haven't been seen in Lusak since 2019, so we'll have dino activities and <laughs> uh, we're going to have some crafts and dino-related story time. So everyone can get acquainted with our beloved walking T-Rex. We encourage parents with kids between 3 and 12 to come. Yeah. And I mean, in your career working in the libraries, does it seem like, you know, dinosaurs might be a really good in for kids to start doing, you know, maybe learning to read, do their own research, kind of get interested in history and science type of a thing? Children seem to love dinosaurs. I mean, I think it's there's uh, just they're fascinating and just there's something about dinosaurs that seems to you know pull everybody in across the board it seems to be sort of a universally loved area of study you know because you can have animated dinosaurs you can have the real dinosaur fossils it all is just super fascinating so it looks like april 23rd through the 29th is national library week so what's going on with that so for <laughs> national library week we have a lot of exciting things that we're doing we are going to have a meet and greet with me the director at mm. various locations around uh, the system we're going to have a community day at lusac on Thursday the 27th. There will be an Alaska Zoo visit at the Mountain View Library and that'll happen Friday, April 28th, three to four in the afternoon. There'll be Saturday story times with Brooke Hartman at the Chugiak Eel Brewer location and wildlife safety at the Muldoon Library on Saturday, April 29th, also from 2 to 3.30. How important is that to you to kind of get out into the community and kind of talk to people face to face as the director? Oh, it's really, really important. I really enjoyed the time that I was the branch manager in Mountain View back in 2014, 2015, and being able to actually interact with people. When you're the director, you spend so much time answering emails and mm -hmm. in meetings that you don't really get to meet the patrons. And so being able to be out there and interact with patrons again, I'm really looking forward to it. Well, also another thing, kind of maybe a little bit of a shift in direction, but not really, still still related, but the library, Seed Lab, and Tent City Press have been doing these zine workshops. And I see that, you know, there's one with Lee Post or a couple with Lee Post, and then even like a, a writing workshop to go along with that. Could you maybe talk about that partnership a little bit? I think that it is an amazing partnership. In my own, you know, personal area of interest, I love printing and bookmaking and 
this just is, I, I think it's amazing that we are participating in this. Zines are, it's the shortened form of the term fanzine, and it's been, the concept's been around for a while. It has roots in fandom of early science fiction from back in the 1930s. Since then, making zines has been a really popular method of sharing art, information, humor, and the whole gamut of types of literature in a small and informal way. Uh, zines, I remember when I was a college student in the 1980s, and people were making zines at the local Kinko's, and that really hasn't changed that much in concept. We just, you know, do it however it needs to be done in order to create these little booklets. Anyone can make zines about anything. Yeah, that's a really cool aspect about how it's kind of like if you have an idea or a concept, you know, DIY, do it yourself, put it together, you know, like if you want to do something, just do it. And, you know, it sounds like there's a lot of really good kind of local resources to show people how to do that, too. Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, creating books, creating your own content and creating a book is something that we so heartily support because, you know, we're the public library. Yeah. Make it if you want to see it sometimes, right? Exactly. Yes. But let's also let's talk about the library in a box. So what is that? And maybe give me a little bit of background on the program, what it is, how it works. So the library in a box, you know, that kind of came about, again, because of the pandemic, just ways for people to be able to check out a kit to do a thing, but they don't need to do it in the library, if you know. So, for instance, a library in a box kits contain items around a particular theme to help you learn a new skill or navigate a milestone or have fun. And mm -hmm. they kind of, we have STEM kits for kids that they can check out to learn about science, so, but these, you know, can be for all ages. The kits can include a variety of items from books to mixing bowls. We'll also include a pen or notebook and a variety of database suggestions so that you can continue learning that way. We have board games, gardening, leatherworking, also as kits. So it's just a wide variety of ways that people can, you know, sort of dip your toe into the water when you're looking at different hobbies or interact with something, but you don't need to actually go out and buy all of the materials. Yeah. And um, how can people find kind of what's offered and uh, get their hands on some of these? Yes, you can search our catalog to find the library in a box kits, but you can also come to any of our five locations and we can help you find them. And we have some, you know, right there that you can browse. Well, let's also talk about, you know, the, the Start With Art program. Yeah, so it's a variety of a story time and it's, but it's focusing on art a little bit more. It's like 20 minutes of short story songs and a lot of repetition to build early literacy skills for children, three and under. And the story times are really very, very cool because it focuses on a particular artist. And so the there's a, a little reading about the artist and then the kids get to take part in a, a story time art project in the style of that artist. So they kind of, they learn about the history and they learn the artistic style. And for instance, Frida Kahlo is one of the ones that we've done recently. Well, you know, kind of touching on all that stuff and, you know, why... Why is it important to kind of have these other events, other programs, in addition to kind of that, the base function of like just loaning books out? Well, a library is a center of information for a community and people interact with information in so many different ways. Books are wonderful and we love to have people interacting with books, but there are there's so many other things that we can offer that bring people and information together. And we also believe in supporting community here. So supporting community by way of bringing community members together, interact with information. And that can be in a very traditional sense where, you know, we have people that are 
doing research with databases and but it can be so different it can be incredibly fun because we want people also to interact with information in a way that's pleasurable enjoyable and having fun let's see so i guess kind of wrapping it up you know what are your plans or you know hopes for the library in the future maybe beyond just kind of getting back from covid and some other things like that so one of our hopes is that we will be able to open a downtown location and we also would as i keep saying my dream is to have a branch in South Anchorage. Well, um, that's about all I've got for you. Is there anything else you'd like to mention about the library? Anything coming up? Just, yeah, anything we think we need to touch on? Yes. The best way to support the library and interact with the library is using your library card. We were, Our goal is to have every Anchorage resident have a library card and we can meet their information needs. That was my conversation with Anchorage Public Library Director Virginia McClure. And that's all for State of Art. I'm Ammon Swenson. Thanks for joining us today for Hometown Alaska. Our guests were Robin O'Donohue, Zadie Manzano, and Kendra and Mercedes Arsinanega. I'm host O'Hara Scheip. Our producer is Ammon Swenson. Find us on the web at alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening. Hometown Alaska is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the host and participants and do not reflect the underwriters or KSKA. Hometown Alaska's theme song, Lead Dog, is by Kevin Barnett from Eagle River. Learn more about Hometown Alaska and listen online at alaskapublic.org. Life Informed. This is Alaska Public Media.